So go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. As a church, uh, we're working our way through the book of John, and last week we kicked off uh, this next segment with a series we're calling, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? Why following Jesus closely matters more than anything. And our lead pastor uh, sought the Lord and has kind of called our church to the theme of follow me for this entire year. And that's the recurring theme all throughout the book of John, okay? So if we're going to kind of ask our church, command our church, exhort our church to follow him, follow Jesus, uh, you might have this question in your mind, why? Just why? Why should I follow him? And uh, whenever we want to follow anybody, the, the question we're really asking is, is he worthy to be followed? Is he worthy to be followed? And I think through the next few weeks in this series, we're going to see that Jesus is more worthy than just you and I following him, but he is worthy of everything, all right? Last week, we saw that Jesus has the power to open the eyes of the blind, And truly, he has the power to open my eyes, right? My spiritual eyes to see him for who he is. And today, we're going to see that Jesus has the authority to call me his own. Jesus has the authority to call me his own. He can look at you. He can look at me and say, they're mine. Um, I've got three kids now. Any parents in the house? Parents in the house? Come on. Three kids. So pray for me. Um, Pray for my wife more. But... uh, we got three kids, and, and sometimes, like, especially recently, we just had our third, and I'll have these, like, out-of-body experiences where I'm kind of, like, step, I'm like, these are my children. Like, there's no one else that's going to, like, come along and, like, help. Like, full responsibility. I have the God-given and the legal authority to say these children are mine, and uh, I don't always want that. Like, you know. <laughs> When my boys are acting a fool in Target, it'd be nice to be like, whose kids are those? Somebody should figure that out, you know. But uh, really, truly, at the end of the day, if, like, God forbid, someone were to try to take my kids, it would be over my dead body, right? And no one would, like, dispute that, be like, well, what gives you the right to say? Like, they're mine. They're my children. And so Jesus is going to set up kind of this illustration that says, these people are mine, and this is my relationship with them. All right, in John chapter 10. And I'm just going to warn you, we don't come across like super hot in the illustration, (laughs) okay? Um, If I were to ask you, hey, what is, uh, like, if you could be referenced as an animal in the Bible a bunch of times, what animal would you choose? You would not choose the animal that Jesus is about to choose for us, okay? Jesus is going to use the illustration of himself as a shepherd and his people, including us here today, as sheep, sheep. Now, I think sheep, I think they get a bad rap, okay? I think sheep get a bad rap because I think the stigma of sheep is that they're stupid, that they're dumb. And so it can be kind of offensive for me to stand up here and say, you all are sheep and sheep are dumb. Um, really, they've done some research in the past couple of years and there is uh, a sheep have the ability to recognize 50 different facial recognitions, like 50 different people for up to two years. They'll remember faces. That's pretty impressive, actually. I don't think I could do that. Um, But more than that, they experience like a wide range of emotions, anxiety, fear, joy. So it's maybe a little wrong to say that sheep are dumb. Rather, what we should say is that sheep are simple and can be incredibly stubborn. Simple in that their motivation 
Core motivations lie in food and comfort and stubborn because they will do things that might put them in grave danger to accomplish those things. Kind of starting to sound a little more familiar, and now I can relate a little bit more to the illustration. But it would have been an easy illustration for Jesus to give uh, to the people that he's talking to because in the Jewish culture, sheep were a big deal. They were money. They were a part of the kind of culture there, shepherds and sheep. And so that's, that's true for them, but for the majority of us here today, you've maybe like touched a sheep once or twice in your life at a petting zoo. So you're going to have to like try a little harder to insert yourself into the narrative. Um, but I promise you the truth that we're going to pull out of this thing is completely worth that effort. So let's read this passage together in its entirety, John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon... Open the eyes of the blind. So Jesus has given this story and has established himself as the good shepherd and us, his people, including everyone here today, as sheep. And there are some other players in the story. Strangers, thieves and robbers, wolves, and hired hands. And those are important, but we're going to focus on the two main characters of the sheep and the good shepherd. Because here's the bottom line for us today. A good sheep knows they need a good shepherd. A good sheep knows they need a good shepherd. So let's take a look at what makes a good shepherd and what makes a good sheep. If Jesus is the good shepherd, how is Jesus a good shepherd? How is Jesus a good shepherd? Number one, he knows me by my name. He knows me by my name. Look again at verse 1. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I'm really, I'm bad with names. Can I just admit that to you this morning? Like, I'm, I'm just one of those people that I'll, I'll meet you. I'll ask you your name like three times in that interaction, and I will walk away and be like, I have no idea what their name is. I have no idea. I'm really bad. I'm just admitting that to you. I'm working on it. I'm trying. I need like mnemonic devices or something in my head that would help out. But right now, it's just something I struggle with. And I know people, right? I know people who are just really good with names. They'll like meet someone once and like three months later run into that person, like first, last name, know it, kids' names, birthdays, all. I'm just like, who are you? How does this work? Right? And so what do I do? Right? What do I do? I go, hey, man. Hey, bro. Hey, dude. Good to see you again, right? You know, and uh, that's gender neutral for me. Like, I'll call anybody dude. I called my wife dude the other day, and she was like, stop me mid sentence. She's like, don't ever call me dude. I was like, you got it, babe. No, I know her name. <laughs> I know her name. Her name's Jennifer. Jen, that was it. Okay, Jennifer. Jen, okay. Mnemonic device. No, I'm just kidding. I know my wife's name, but like, it's just a struggle for me. And so, like, don't ever be offended if I call you dude or bro or hey, like anything of like that. It is try. I am trying to be endearing, but I do want to learn people's names, and so I'm like, I'm trying to lean into that because at the end of the day, like, as as endearing as I try to make, hey man, hey bro, hey sis, like, as as endearing as that sounds, it's never as good as knowing their name. It's never as good because when someone knows your name, you feel loved, you feel accepted, you feel known by them, and it's just a, a kind of a different way to look at it. But you don't have to remind Jesus of your name, right? I think there's been a handful of times in my life where, like, I've finally gotten to meet and introduce myself to somebody that I've admired from, like, a distance, whether, like, following them online or um, kind of ran in the same circle but never actually met them and, and then meet them and then maybe, like, I know of one guy, like, I ran into him and then ran into him at a conference a few months later and he was like, hey, Brent, right? And, like, you try to not be like, oh, my gosh, he knows my name. Like, all excited, like, yeah, yeah, my name's, yeah, of course you know who I am. <laughs> but really, like, inside, I'm just, like, leaping with joy that this person that I respect and admire would actually know my name. So to think that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, worthy Jesus, knows my name should kind of excite me a little bit. If Jesus was standing in the middle of the room today and you went up to him, you wouldn't have to introduce yourself. You wouldn't have to reintroduce yourself. Maybe you're like, hey, I, I, kinda, I used to come to church a long time ago. You might remember me. I, I prayed a few times. No, like Jesus knows exactly who you are, and he knows you by your name. I want to take this a step further. It says this in uh, Revelation 2.17. It says, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, in Revelation, there's so much to unpack with, like, literal, figurative, all of that. But I think this is just a beautiful example of the intimacy that Jesus Christ wants to have with you in a way that no one else really can. Because this is not a nickname. This is not just, like, a pet name that Jesus calls you. He's saying, I know exactly who you are so much so that I have a name that's reserved just for me and you. No one else is going to know it. It's what I, my name for you. I'm giving you this name. That's how well Jesus knows who you are. He's a good shepherd. He knows his sheep. You're not just another sheep to him. How is Jesus a good shepherd? He knows me by my name. Number two, he protects me from the enemy. He protects me from the enemy. Verse eight, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Sheep are not known for being the like, fiercest creatures in the, the food chain of animals. Um, pretty defenseless, actually, against most predators. Um, in fact, it, rather than like running, hiding, um, or kind of trying to make it difficult, when they like feel attacked in a flock, they'll actually like clump together into like one big giant cotton ball for like the predator just to like come in and just like have a heyday, right? And uh, and it, there is research that says like sheep will actually try to defend other sheep when they're being attacked, but like at the end of the day, we're talking about literally like a fluffy cloud versus like razor blades in the wild. Like it's not going to end well for the sheep. Um, and so the shepherd's job would be to protect the sheep. He would have, a, you know, a staff. And uh, David in the Bible is famous for defending his sheep against um, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and all of that. And it's like a big deal that he would, like, rescue his sheep, be able to take these animals down. And uh, while, like, animals were a problem, thieves and robbers were also a problem because sheep meant money. Sheep were money in that day. The more sheep you had, the wealthier you were. And so uh, people would steal sheep. And, and they weren't stealing sheep to, like, like kind of love and have a new pet. They were stealing sheep to kind of liquidate that sheep as quick as possible. So they're taking that into market, and they're getting it sheared and butchered quickly. So when Jesus says, like, uh, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, like, that's what he means when he wants to steal the sheep. And so he's using that analogy of, like, the shepherd who wants abundant life for his sheep. And just the powerful truth that that is to know that he is protecting them from the enemy. Because once you are in Jesus' flock, the enemy no longer has like a direct access to you. You have to go through the shepherd. This doesn't mean that there aren't like bruises and scrapes that happen along the journey of following the shepherd. But when the enemy comes, he has to come through the shepherd. The shepherd is protecting you. I heard a pastor say it like this. Jesus took the teeth out of the mouth of the wolf. There's still an enemy. He's still seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He still shows up speaking lies into your life, putting you through situations where you feel like, man, this is not good. Like, why, why do I have to go through this? This world is so broken. But then once you kind of get face-to-face with that enemy, you realize, like, wait, like, you don't have any teeth. You can't actually do anything that would harm me. You can't actually take me down. The shepherd has thwarted that enemy in your life. The good shepherd stands ready to protect you from the enemy. Number three, he brings me into the fold. He brings me into the fold. We're going to look back at the text, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, the reality is, at this point in history, the Jews were waiting for this Messiah to come and kind of restore power to Israel. 
right? And um, they knew that he was coming through the lineage of David, and David was like the stuff back in that day, man. I mean, he had kind of set uh, them up as like this world power, military power, and uh, when his kingdom kind of fell apart, they were kind of scattered all over, so they had this hope, this desire, and there's a prophecy that this Messiah would come, and in their minds, it would restore everything back to the way that it was, and it would set them up in Israel, and they would just continue on rocking it for the rest of time. And Jesus enters the scene, and he's got like this crazy different plan that's going to end with him on a cross. And the good news for you and for me today is what he's saying here is that I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And he's talking about you, and he's talking about me. He's not saying, he's saying that the Jewish people are not the only ones who have access to this anymore. It's not reserved for a certain sect of people that have kind of been in this certain nation for a certain amount of time. It's now open to the world because all my sheep will hear my voice. I will call to them and they will hear me and they will enter this fold and be a part of the flock. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. The truth for you and for me today is that Jesus Christ is calling us and wants to bring us into a relationship with him. A relationship that has been disrupted by sin But Jesus paid the price for that sin and then gave us a way, a door in to be saved and to find pasture into this thing called the church, this this body of believers that's one flock with one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've felt like an outsider for most of your life. You've never really felt accepted socially. Maybe there's people here today who feel like outsiders in their own family. You look at the relationship your siblings have with your parents and you're like, why can't I have the same thing? It's never been that way. Or maybe you've bounced from relationship to relationship in your life looking for validation and belonging in someone else and you've given everything to those people and then when that falls apart, you're left there picking up the pieces, wondering like, when will I ever feel complete and whole? My plea to you today is that you are welcomed and you belong in God's family. God is calling you and he wants to bring you into a true, right relationship with him. He wants to care for you and love you like a true, good shepherd. You don't have to keep searching. He's coming to you. Why does he do all this? Because he loves us. He loves you. Number four, he loves me enough to die for me. That makes him a good shepherd. It says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He says it all over in this passage that this shepherd is willing to lay his life down for his sheep. I cry a lot in movies. Um, Is this a safe space? Can I be vulnerable for a minute? Like, I don't care, come confiscate my man card if you have to. Uh, I cry more than my wife in movies. And it's a lot of different things. A lot of different things will get me. Um, but the thing that gets me in my feelings every single time is when someone will sacrifice themselves for another person or a group of people, right? Like, just throwing it back. Armageddon, Bruce Willis, 
like sends the son home to be with his daughter, like just forget it, I'm done, okay? Lone survivor, true stories are the worst. Michael Murphy running the top of the hill, sacrifice himself, get the radio broadcast out, gone, done, just, <laughs> just sobbing. Iron Giant, no joke, 1999 kids cartoon movie. You laugh. Giant robot who has learned to love flies towards the bomb, sacrifices himself to save people. Just losing it in the, like, watching it. My kids are like, Dad, what's wrong? I'm like, love, he loved that. <laughs> you want to know what movie I'm never crying at? The movie where a human shepherd sacrifices himself for a flock of sheep. Like, I don't care if, like, Disney writes it and they have, like, all these montages of, like, he raised the sheep and, like, he loves them and they're best friends. Like, at the end of the day, they're sheep. I'm not trying to get PETA mad at me. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't balance out in my mind. Because if he sacrifices himself, the sheep are going to, like, look and then grass. And, back. like, it's not going to change their life. They're not going to be, like, different. They're not going to, like, go on and, like, start a foundation and, like, save lives. Like, it's not happening. They're sheep. So you got to kind of imagine that Jesus is kind of saying this in, in this analogy of the shepherd and the sheep, and they're kind of like, well, yeah, like protection, yeah, lay down his life, like willingly for the sheep? That doesn't make They just go buy new sheep. Seems a little ridiculous. Well, this isn't a normal shepherd. This is the good shepherd. This isn't some hired hand where this is just a job, it's a paycheck, who cares nothing for the sheep. This is the good shepherd. And when you understand that Jesus loves you enough to die for you, you understand that this love is not out of obligation. Sometimes I think we go through life and we, uh, as we walk with Jesus, we kind of think he has to love us. Because at one point we did this thing where we asked for forgiveness and we asked Jesus to come into our life. But like really, he's not really like excited about it because we're not all that great. We kind of keep messing up. We wander away, we, we don't do the right thing, we're not where we think we should be, we look at other people and we're like, well, I'm not them. And so if Jesus is like picking the dodgeball team, like he's for sure grabbing John and Peter and Paul, but if you're like kind of there at the end, he's like, I, yeah, I guess you can just don't do anything dumb on the team, okay? Can you just sit in the corner and just wait it out and we'll handle, like, guys, that is so opposite of the gospel, the, it's completely opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that before you did anything to make yourself appealing, before you felt like you were worth anything, Jesus came to you. Jesus laid down his life for you so that he could draw you into right relationship. It's as if he's saying, that's my guy. That's my girl. She's on my team. He's with me. Jesus is excited and fired up and pumped that you are on his team, that you are in the flock. That's good news because that kind of releases the pressure that we sometimes put on ourselves unwilling. I'm like, I got to be a perfect sheep or I'm going to get kicked out. No. Jesus brought you in. Jesus is the door. Jesus made the way. You get the privilege and the honor of being a part of a flock with a good shepherd. Simple, stubborn sheep. So Jesus is this good shepherd, and any good sheep knows they need a good shepherd. So how can we be good sheep? How I can be a good sheep, four simple things in our remaining time today. Number one, find a flock 
that follows the shepherd. Find a flock that follows the shepherd. You were not made to do life alone. A sheep needs a shepherd for sure, but it, it, it needs a flock. And if that flock isn't following the good shepherd, then it's not really a healthy flock to be a part of. See, Jesus has given us this uh, community for protection and a, and a mission of finding other sheep and inviting them in. And he establishes a position within that flock called the under-shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, it says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm so grateful for our pastor and our elders who are striving to live this out. Willingly, eagerly being examples of what it looks like to follow the good shepherd. And I want that to be the narrative of my life as I minister to this church. The hard part comes when the sheep bite. Sheep can bite. But I've never read a, a, a headline that says, man dies from sheep bite. Yeah, they can bite, but they're sheep. I've met a lot of people in my life who've, who've gotten bit, and they think that that somehow gives them a, an excuse to not have a flock. But I, I'm just saying, like, while sheep can bite, so do wolves. And so do bears. And so does anything that's outside the protection of the flock. And uh, they have a lot sharper teeth. Or maybe uh, people have had under-shepherds who have forgotten that they're sheep too. The greatest under-shepherds realize that they're just sheep. That's why like Pastor Appreciation Month can feel a little like weird, just being honest. And why I almost hated making our, our, our lead pastor stand up. Because at the end of the day, we're like, we're just sheep. We're just sheep who have been called to follow the good shepherd. And he's like given us this calling on our life to be an under shepherd and, and shepherd the flock among us. Not under us, among us. But people get kind of burnt by, by under shepherds who forget that they're sheep. And so then they just, that I don't need to submit myself to any church authority. It's just, it's messed up. And, I'm just saying, like, if you find a flock of, of sheep who, who are following closely to the good shepherd, and you have under-shepherds who are constantly submitting themselves to that shepherd, you're in a healthy flock. It's just that simple. And don't get me wrong, technology is amazing, and I understand that at any point you can pull out your phone and you can get incredible teaching from all over the world at any moment in time. But if your flock only exists in a digital space, it's going to be really hard when physical life hits you in the teeth. The benefits of the flock far outweigh the negative. When you're in a flock, the rest of the sheep know who you are. They know your quirks. They know your tendencies. They know where you might need to be leaned on a little bit in your life. And maybe where you just might need a little bit of space. You can't replicate that anywhere but in real life. 
find a flock that follows the shepherd and lean in. Sometimes it'll be hard. The sheep will bite. And the under shepherd might lead the wrong way. But if they continually admit that they're a sheep too and submit themselves to the good shepherd, you will be in a healthy flock. Number two, stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. Again, the main motivation of sheep is food and comfort. And so uh, when they graze, a lot of times they'll be so fixated on what's right down in front of them that they won't like, kind of look around and, and notice their surroundings. And so some sheep will, will be so fixated on the grass in front of them that they'll actually wander off from, from the rest of the flock. And they won't know this until they're in some type of grave danger, whether like on a, on a cliff about to, you know, or stuck in some brush or whatever, and the shepherd will have to come rescue that sheep. And this is kind of crazy, but what will happen is if a shepherd notices that one particular sheep keeps wandering off again and again, he's continually having to go chase it down and bring it back into the fold, he'll take his staff and he'll actually break the leg of a sheep. He'll break one of their legs and then he'll pick it up and he'll put it on his shoulders. And he'll carry that sheep from pasture to pasture, from green land to green land, to allow it to continue to graze as the leg heals. He'll carry it. And it, and it sounds kind of uh, crazy, but the powerful truth for us today is that sometimes the most loving thing God can do is break us so he can show us that there's a better way. Sometimes we're so fixated on the thing that we think that we need so badly to live that we've kind of like lost our focus to even realize that where we're at is dangerous and we're going off the edge. We're isolated. We're vulnerable to the enemy. And God, in the most loving way possible, wants you to realize how much better it would be if you were just close to the shepherd. And so sometimes the most loving thing he can do is allow you to be broken. And that might sound a little, like, hurtful. Like, really? Couldn't find a different way to do it? But if, if you followed Christ for any amount of time, you've come to the conclusion that God does not have your comfort in mind the same way that you have your comfort in mind. He's focused more on your generosity than your paycheck. He's focused more on your humility than your social status. He's more worried about your spiritual growth than your physical pleasure. See, Jesus loves you enough to die for you, yes, but he did not die for you so that you could live for yourself. He died for you so that you could find that there is true, abundant life in him. And the picture I love is that the, the shepherd breaks the sheep's leg, and it is not this kind of like punishment, like, so everybody would know what is wrong with this sheep, and then force that sheep to somehow try to keep up with the rest of the flock and Look at that broken leg. It's because he keeps wandering off. He's so messed up. No, in, a, in an act of love, he picks up the sheep and places it on his own shoulder and carries it until it's healed. It's better this way. Right here, with me. Stay close. And what I love is, is you think about it, like how much closer that sheep would be because here's the, the crazy thing that happens is that that leg will heal and the shepherd will put the sheep down and for the rest of that sheep's life, it'll be as close to the shepherd as it can possibly get. It'll never leave its side. Which is maybe opposite of how you think it would go. Like somebody breaks your leg, 
Like you think as soon as you get down, I'm running as far away as I can from that person. But because he spent so long close to the shepherd, he submitted himself to that discipline in his life. He learned the voice of the shepherd. That's our third point. Know the voice of the shepherd. There's a story of a man visiting Palestine some years back. One afternoon, he stood on a ridge overlooking a long, narrow gorge. Below him, the gorge opened out into rolling grass-covered pasture lands, and a single trail meandered down the length of the gorge floor, then branched out into dozens of trails when it reached the grasslands. A group of shepherds strolled down the gorge trail, chatting with one another, followed by a long, winding river of sheep. At the forks of the trail, the shepherds shook hands and separated, each taking a different path as they headed out into the grasslands. As the shepherds headed their separate ways, the mass of sheep streaming behind them automatically divided into smaller flocks, each flock stringing down the branch trail behind its appropriate shepherd. And when the various shepherds and their flocks were distanced from each other by a few hundred yards, each shepherd turned to scan his own sheep, noting that some strays had been left behind and were wandering in confusion among the rocks and brush. Then one of the shepherds cupped his hands around his mouth and called in a strange, piercing cry. At his shout, a couple of stray lambs perked up their ears and bounded toward his voice. Then a second shepherd tilted back his head, calling with a distinctly different sound. A few more strays hurried straight toward him. Then another called his strays with a shrill shout. Each shepherd, in turn, called. Each of the strays, hearing a familiar voice, knew exactly which shepherd he should run to. In fact, none of the wandering sheep seemed to notice any voice but the voice of their shepherd. This life consists of so many voices. And at times I've found myself asking, God, like, why? Like, why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you speaking to me? And this week, I've been asking myself more and more, would I know his voice if I heard it? Do you know the voice of the shepherd? Do you read his word, the Bible? Do you read it as if it's actually his words? can't tell you how many times I've been frustrated and angry in my life and like waiting for God to say something to me, but my time in his word is non-existent or it's very superficial. And then when I actually humble myself to come to that time of reading his word as if God wants to actually talk to me and I engage with it, the words are leaping off the page into my heart. Or in prayer, I can do a lot of talking, a lot of whining in prayer. I'm asking a lot of questions, and then I'm wrapping it up with like, Lord, uh, in your perfect timing, would you give me the answers, amen? And then I go on with my day. I'm not really interested in God's timing. I'm just there to offload what I want and what I need from him. No other relationship in my life is going well if that's the conversation structure. Like, my marriage is not going well. Hey, you listen to me, and then I'm out. I would have no friends. My kids would not like to be around me. Listening is a key part of any relationship. I'm not going to know the voice of the shepherd unless I leave room for him to talk to me. 
Lastly, how we can be a good sheep. Trust the heart of the shepherd. Trust the heart of the shepherd. Again, thinking of that lamb who has his leg broken and how he would learn the voice of the shepherd because as it's sitting on his shoulders, every time the shepherd would call, right, you think of just the reverberation in the chest of the shepherd going up into the sheep, he would know that shepherd's voice more than anybody. But being that close to the shepherd, you learn then the heart of the shepherd. You learn why he's doing what he's doing. And you begin just to trust. You begin to trust. Because you know that the shepherd loves you. You know that he has your best intentions in mind. Mary had a little lamb is one of the most famous nursery rhymes that's ever been written. And it's widely believed to be based upon a true story. The lyrics belong to American writer Sarah Josepha Hale, and the musical sheet was written by the composer Lowell Mason in the 1830s. They say it happened to a 14-year-old girl whose name was Mary Sawyer, who, encouraged by her brother, is taking her lamb with her to school. Of course, she couldn't keep her pet unnoticed, and the lamb was soon everybody's distraction, becoming famous for this song. You'll probably recognize the first four lines, but I just want to read it in its entirety. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. It followed her to school one day, which was against the rules. It made the children laugh and play to see a lamb at school. And so the teacher turned it out, but still it lingered near and waited patiently about till Mary did appear. Why does the lamb love Mary so? The eager children cry. Why? Mary loves the lamb, you know. The teacher did reply. The good sheep knows they need a good shepherd. And the sheep know he's a good shepherd by the way he loves the sheep. So often we question where we are going and why we're being led this way instead of that way and why am I going through this and why can't have a, I have this thing that I want right now? Why am I stuck in this waiting and do you really know what you're doing? More often if we would just trust the heart of the shepherd who knows us by her name, protects us from the enemy, brings us into the fold, and loves us enough to die for us. More often our prayer needs to not be why or when, but rather, I trust, I believe. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This abundant life is available because of Jesus Christ making a way when there was no way. He is the door that we can go through and be saved and find pasture. He is the good shepherd who comes to us, calls us, and brings us into the fold. That life is available to you today. Whether for the first time or in a moment of recommitment to the Lord. Maybe you've been a lost sheep for a long time, maybe you've just wandered a little bit away, Jesus is ready to receive you. Trust the heart of the shepherd. Abundant life is waiting for you.